Hello and welcome to episode 70 of Fergo and the Freak. I'm that bloke from Rugby League Project, Andrew Ferguson. You can find me on Twitter at AndrewRLP. And joining me as always is a glorious League Freak. You can find on Twitter at League Freak. How are you doing there, mate? Pretty good. We've just done 15 minutes of a really good podcast and we decided we might start recording. Yeah, yeah that's a typical process. Um, I, I just... Uh, I just explained the process actually on Twitter saying uh, step one of how Fergo Fergo on the Freak podcast happens. Step one, League Freak calls me. Step two, I say, what are we talking about today? Step three, we discuss the topics. Step four, I say, we're actually doing an episode right now. Step five, you say, that's right, let me get a coffee and we'll press record. Yeah, Step pretty six, much. We, we press record. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I know we've had times where we've literally talked about real in-depth rugby league stuff for like two hours, and then at the end of it going, man, that would have been a good podcast. <laughs> yeah, we've, we've probably wasted about 15, 20, 20 episodes already. Easy, easily. And it does make it hard when you do so many podcasts to remember which ones went to air and which ones didn't. <laughs> I know there's been some things that that I've done that with, and I'm like, man, have we done a podcast about that? Oh, no, we just talked about it. It's funny. So um, today, we're going to pretty much, I'd just say the theme's going to be siding with fans. What do you reckon? Yeah, pretty much for the most part, um, siding with fans and really having the one common enemy, I would suggest. Yes. And uh, what better way to start with when it comes to common enemies than uh, Paul Crawley? Oh, excellent. The insider. The insider. Um, he's he's written an article today in the Daily Telegraph, and he's pretty much defending Wayne Bennett and passing all of the blame onto Nathan Brown for the state that Newcastle's in at the moment. Yeah, well, that's understandable. I mean, you know, Wayne Bennett was a fantastic moment for the Newcastle Knights uh, until he left, and then the club went to shit. Um, not because of Wayne. No, nah, no, nah, it had nothing to do with Wayne. Wayne future-proofed the club, if anything, and it was just the ball was dropped. By everyone except for Wayne. Yeah, um, everyone. Yeah, absolutely everyone else. Wayne Bennett was not culpable for that whatsoever. Wow. Okay, let's have a look here. <laughs> yeah. Have what... Have what um, what crawls had to say. I'm not reading the first paragraph because it's the most ill-constructed piece of writing I've ever seen. Okay, yeah, you were, you were bringing that up for starting sentences it, with and. Yes. It's yeah. part of the reason why I started to get fired up and why we had to stop ourselves because I was starting to get cranky. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> let's read that second paragraph, which starts with and. <laughs> and he made a particular point of backhanding Wayne Bennett in a masked reference to him as a selfish coach joining the five-year chorus blaming Bennett for the so-called mess he left the club in. Now, let's just wind the clock back, okay? Let's look at the time, the, the day after Wayne Bennett left the Knights. Mm-hmm. Let's well, be the... honest. Let's be honest. Yeah. Would you say the Knights were in a good position at that very time when Wayne Bennett left? No. No, neither would I. So I don't think you can sit there and say that it's a so-called mess. I don't think another coach is yeah. going to walk in there, I don't care who it is, and is going to go, yep, we're winning a premiership this year with what Wayne Bennett's done for us. Yeah, and, and the other thing is, too, he has a state of origin player in Darius Boyd, who's probably the best player at the club at the time. He takes him with him. Yeah. 
you know, it's like, a key part of your squad alone. too. Just that alone. How do you, how are you leaving the club in a better position? Just doing that. It makes no sense. Exactly. I mean, if we have a look at the roster that, that uh, Nathan Brown had to work with in 2015. Yeah. Okay. These are, the, these are his experienced players. So the experienced ones, I say, are players who are aged, um, you know, 30 years and older. Okay. Chris Houston, Bo Scott, Kirk Gidley, Clint Newton, David Farlogo, Jeremy Smith. Wow. I mean, that shows, and that's what Bennett did. Bennett come in and he got guys that were basically just about to hit the end of their career. And that was the problem with the Knights. Like, they basically all retired. <laughs> like, yeah. it wasn't as though he brought in a bunch of great players that all left the club because they got better deals elsewhere or they just wanted to move on from the Knights. It's like, you look at the vast majority of Wayne Bennett's side that he had, they yeah. they retired within about a year, that's, two years. That's right. And you look at the players who were just, just before they turned 30. So we're looking at the 28 and 29-year-olds here, and you had Jared Mullen, Cade Snowden, James McManus. They were, yeah. your, next, they were your next future veterans at the club. Yep. The next before that was Aquila Uati at 27, Nathan Ross, 26, Tarek Sims, 25, Robbie Rocco, 25. They yeah, don't. That, other, than, other than Uati, those other players there have not played that many games because they started their careers in first grade rather late. Well, Ross had like <clears throat> one year where he, he was half decent at all and it was in a losing side. And then he retired. Yeah. McManus retired for, with head knocks. Jared Mullen ended up getting a four-year suspension for drugs. And, and then you go back to Uati who ended up leaving to go to Manly, I believe yeah. it was. And, and then, then Huddersfield. Yeah, poor bugger. Oh, man. Can we do something about that? We should start <laughs> GoFundMe. Um, we should. And then you had Sims, who, you know, he he, he struggled a little bit. It, it wasn't yeah. like, I mean, he was inconsistent. So, um, yeah, like just all of those plays. And that's their the bulk of their first grade team that Brown took over. And it's a that's a horror show. Yeah. So I mean, other than that, the only rookies that came through, you know, players who were, I dare say, twenty two and under. Uh Chad Redman, Adam Clydesdale, Lachlan Fitzgibbon, um, Joseph Tappany, Jake Mamo, Daniel Levi, Sione Mataudia. Wow. <clears throat> so there's as... rookies he's got coming through. Yeah. Yeah, not great. Not great. Um yeah, he's done nothing for the club there. Wayne, Wayne Bennett brought that club to its bloody knees. And for, for Crawley to come out and try and defend him over that is, it's beyond laughable. It shows how bad a journalist he is. It really does. I mean, can you think of a, a worse situation that a club has been left in? Cause, because I honestly, apart from clubs that were like dying and stuff like that, I mean, you can look at the Gold Coast Titans. Brennan, Brennan's left them in a way better position than than uh, Bennett left the Knights. Yeah, you I know, guess whoever... the only one that's probably worse will probably the the Tigers when Taylor left. Yeah, I mean, did they? They didn't have Vara. They had. Did they have Marshall? They had Marshall. Yeah, but had... yeah I think he left in that first year. I oh, know he might have left beforehand. 
I think Marshall left before. Okay. Yeah. So he wasn't even there then. Yeah. But like, still, it wasn't as though whoever took over the top, the Tigers at the time, come in and was like, "Wow, half my squad is over thirty. The next few are just not really all that good anyway." And then the kids coming through are uh, so-so. <laughs> oh, I think the first two points are probably accurate. But, yeah, the juniors coming through were, were a lot better. Yeah. The Tigers had been, you know, they've always been reasonably good with juniors. Mm. Can't, I can't knock them for that. But How yeah. many of those players, there'd only be like, what, two or three players that are left from when he took over at the Knights? Um, Nathan Brown, when he took over at the Knights. And oh, let's see who's still there. Um, Sione Mataria, Danny Levi, um, Lachlan Fitzgibbon, I think. I think um, so. Jack Stockwell's gone to the Titans. Was Saifidi there? Uh, no. Okay. So he, he's literally completely no, that, remade their roster. Yeah. Yeah, he's, yeah. That's it. Sione Mataria, Danny Levi. And yeah, and, given three players, and, and you know, and them them names there. I mean, it's not as though you build a club around those names, and well, nothing against them, but you know, Sione, is, Sione did play Test footy at the age of nineteen, or whatever it was. I didn't understand that at the time. And Danny um, Levi's played for New Zealand, I think, hasn't he? He has. Oh, there you go. See, yeah. it's it's just when I I look at the night side right now. And I don't rate them as highly as James Hooper who said they were in fourth place. I'll never get over that. They're a fourth place talented team. But I because I think that where they are right now is about what I expected going into the season. Um, I didn't expect them to go on their winning streak, uh, but they're, they're kind of where I expected them to be at the end of the year. The thing is they're in a they're in a good position where if they add a bit more talent and some of the young players continue to improve they're in a good position it's not like this is a lineup that's uh been decimated or needs rebuilt this is a line a lineup that needs to be continued to be built yeah it needs essentially it needs tweaking i mean they've got a they've got a solid forward pack yeah um they need new halves Mm -hmm, definitely the backs are good enough yeah yeah, know, this, if, 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 if Moka can stay fit, then they'll they'll be very good. Mm-hmm. Poor Bugger's been struggling with knee injuries most of his career, but when he's playing and he's in form and healthy, he's he is a top line centre. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, and they've also got Ponga, <laughs> who if they can hold on to him, I mean he's a genuine superstar of the future. So, I mean they're a million miles ahead of where where Brown took over. It's incredible that anybody would try and say that he hasn't improved the club because he really has. Well, let's let's see what uh, what Crawley had to say after that. Okay. Now, let's talk about the legacy Brown leaves behind, which, in a snapshot, is the best Knights roster since Andrew Johns retired in 2007, yet will likely not make the finals and seem to lack heart and unity. It seems to be the, converge, the conversation no one really wants to have because Brownie is such a good bloke. It's very strange. I don't. I don't care about a coach being a good bloke. I've said that plenty of times. Yeah. But the heart and stuff. I mean, I I always come back to this with state of origin, where people say, "Oh, it's about you know guts and going out there and play for your state." No, it's about talent. 
It's about talent. Give me a team that, you know, is so-so and doesn't really care too much but is as talented as all hell over a team that's playing their ass off but they're not that good. Yeah. I. Now the next line actually irritates me about this. Because mm-hmm. it's this thing that journalists often do where they treat players like children. Mm-hmm. And this is one of them here. But you just had to listen to the heartless and immature responses from Mitchell Pearce and Caelan Ponga last week to know this is a club whose culture has gone down the toilet. Now, whenever they go on this culture thing, they always mm-hmm. pin it on the coach. And to a degree, that's fair enough. The coach has to bring in a winning culture to make these teams strong and, you know, accept, you know, accept their, their shortcomings, I guess, and try and be better players and all that sort of stuff that goes on. Fair enough. <clears throat> but... To insinuate that the players should be completely absolved from any responsibility regarding the culture at the club is pathetically stupid. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, you've got, uh, you've also got, and they've always got a line. It's bloody hilarious. So if you, so say Nathan Brown decides to start like banning players from first grade and fining players and all this. They call him a disciplinarian, and they say the players don't really like him, okay? But then if he goes the other direction, they say, well, he didn't keep any discipline at the club, and that's on the coach. So it doesn't matter what happens. These journalists (laughs) always have a retrospective line that they put on it. They spin a story at the end of it, and that's what you've got to remember. You know, when the Knights were on their winning streak, no one was talking about their culture. No one was saying that they lacked discipline. No one was saying any of this stuff. That were, in fact, praising them, saying, what a turnaround by Brown. He's going to be the coach of the year. They're going to make the finals and all this stuff. And it's hilarious. If you if you had a, went into a coma for the last month and a half and you woke up and you just read the headlines, you'd be like, what the fuck timeline did I wake up in? Yeah. Because the, the spin by the media is just dictate. They just react. Like they talk about the NRL being reactionary. The media just react. They don't have any foresight. They don't have any ability to analyze what's going on. They just react to just general stuff. It's not even in-depth stuff. And so they've looked at their nights and then they've decided, well, it's the culture. It's got to be. Oh, uh, yeah. Got to agree. They, and they, they like to use these terms um, and, and little, I suppose, um, Angles, I guess, where it doesn't matter what side of the coin the coin lands on, they've yeah. got an argument against the against that side. Exactly. So it's it's like the ref bashing one. They'll sit there and they'll they can abuse the refs for calling too many penalties and that's killing the game. And then once the refs decide to ease up and they only call the obvious ones, um, they then sit there and complain about them being inconsistent. And so. Yep. They like it when they when they can put people in a no-win situation because they can just keep churning out story after story after story. Yeah, and it's because they can't actually write about rugby league itself. Yes, because as we saw during the week, we've heard, I think, James Hooper. Um, we definitely heard Buzz. And they're talking about how when they're trying to get information from players, and they revealed it on, on their TV shows on Fox. Oh, I, I texted this player and he hasn't got back to me. And I texted this guy and he didn't get back to me. You've got a phone in your hand, you fucking idiot. Pick it up and call them. Yeah. That's what or journalists even, do. Even better yet, how about you go to a, just a training session and talk to them face to face? 
Like, wh- how how often do they do that? I texted him. You know, they they leave that to the, you know, the young people that come straight out of university with a piece of paper going, I'm a journalist. <laughs> yeah, when you become a proper one, mate, we'll give you a phone and a bunch of phone numbers and you can just text them. <laughs> text them. Uh, or go on Twitter and tweet them. That's what it's we hilarious. do. That's journalism now. We tweet them and we text them. And, you know, with this whole oh, – have we have we got through the Paul Crawley uh, thing, by the way? Oh, I mean, there's, there's more. We can keep going if you okay. want on the Paul Yeah, Crawley. yeah, tell me some more. If I put it straight in my veins. Yeah. Yet Pierce and Ponga, along with David Clemmer, were the three highest-paid players Brown parachuted in to take his club forward. And let's be honest, they, they don't have the wooden spoon this year. Yeah, yeah. They're he, in the, they're in the final recruited... time. They're probably just out of it, but they have improved. So what he's saying is they recruited – Probably the hottest property for a player under the age of 22. Uh, one of the best front rowers in the game. And, and Pierce, I think, was indefensible, but he's better than a reserve grader that they might have had in place. You know, he, he's got them to a certain point. But, I mean, it's obvious he needs to be moved on now if they want to improve. But, yeah, what a bastard. Yeah. And he's sitting these are now the leaders of the four-year rebuild new coach rookie Adam O'Brien will inherit. Not bad, O'Brien. really. I Fine. think most... Yeah. yeah. I think... Look, I'll say, I've will say i said this about Mitch Pease before, okay? He's... Everything I've heard about him off the field, um, behind the scenes, even by some of his teammates and stuff like that, has always been... He's a good bloke. Yeah. And everything suggests that he's very similar personality-wise to Todd Carney. A lot of the players... Will rally around him. They'll always play around him. They look after, you know, they, he looks after them. They look after him. He builds that sort of unity within a team environment. Just that sometimes when he gets on the drink, he's a bit of a dickhead. Yeah. And is he the only? Is he, isn't the? Is he the only one? But the thing is, he has grown up. When was the last time you heard a story about Mitchell Pierce being on the piss? It's been That's a few true. years. That's true. He, he has grown up. Okay. As an adult, I think he's improved in the last few years. I think the move to Newcastle was the right move for him. Get him out of Sydney, get him focused on being um, the senior member of a team instead of having other people have responsibility. Put it on him. Mm-hmm. And it's made a difference. He has played. He has been playing better footy. He's had to prove himself. Um, has he been an origin quality player? Fuck no. But no. he's been better than what they had there under Mullen. Yeah. That, that can't be debated. He is better than Mullen. I mean, one hundred percent. That's not Apart a from the fact that Mullen broke down every five minutes. Any time he got anywhere close to the ball, he was lying on the ground somewhere in back play. Um, yeah. And that's not even to take into account that he got a four, like a four year and like a black and white four year ban for drug ban. Like that's there's not many of those that are going around in world sport. So. No. Um, so, yeah, and that's a failure, an IQ failure, quite honestly, when you get caught like that. But, um, yeah, it, it's without question way better than Mullen. He gave them some stability in terms of he never gets injured. He's no. always there. You know, he is what he is as a player, and I think that the Knights must have known that going in. Um, and he's got them to a point, and, and he's not going to take them beyond that point because he is who he is. But... It's it's hard to criticise them getting him from where they were at because the alternative is you don't have anyone to build around. 
Well, that's right. And I think we've seen before, too, when he was at the Roosters, that if you can put a world-class 5'8 next to Mitchell Pearce, yeah. Mitchell Pearce is a very decent halfback. Because if he's just got to worry about, essentially, a kicking game, he's fine. He's got a, he's got a decent enough kicking game. If he doesn't have to worry about other responsibilities, like you know, throwing fancy passes and stuff like that, if he's just got to focus on you know, field position, that sort of thing, He's he's more than fine enough. He just needed a genuine six beside him, which he's he hasn't had at the Knights. No, not yeah, not at all. And the thing is too, like he's a fantastic defender, absolutely fantastic. Um, and like and that's why he worked so well with Maloney mm. because Maloney just was basically the playmaker, and all Pierce had to do was tackle. Um and yeah, he he hasn't had that at the Knights. And look, if the Knights could say the Knights were able to get Maloney next year, it'd be a really good halves pairing for them to have. Yeah, yeah, because, you could definitely work with that. Yeah, um, I'm trying to think of other. I mean, there's some other players that Maloney and him work well because Maloney is such a dominant playmaker and he's a winner. And it just it kind of cancels out Mitchell Pierce a little bit, and yeah. Pierce can just concentrate, as you say, on kicking and tackling. And when you get him, he's a little bit like Sean Johnson in that way, in that when it has to revolve around him, when everything's got to run through him, you're screwed. But when you just say to him, "Look, just tackle and kick," it works, you know. Yeah. And and it's the same with Johnson. You say to Johnson, "Just get the ball and run with it. Forget all the other playmaking duties. Just run." And then it works for him. I wonder, because generally what they need is just someone with a bit of flair out there at number six. And I wonder if someone like um, Matt Moylan might be worthwhile there. Oh, man. But Matt Moylan, I mean, he's he's, he's got I, so many of, mistakes in him. I know. I'm not a fan of him either. I think he's yeah. massively overrated. He's in the Gutherson yeah. area. Oh, 100%. Um. But I wonder, well, actually, I might even rate Gutherson higher than Moylan, to be honest. Uh, you know what? He's, he's a, oh, man, it's... Only it's because hard. Gutherson doesn't get injured, so you're going to get more out of him. You're actually going to get some value for money there. I tell you, I'll put it this way. If I was the coach of a club, I would rather Gutherson, right? If I had to win a game, I would want Moylan instead of Gutherson because Gutherson is like, you know... Average, super, super average. Moylan can do some special stuff, but uh, over the course of a season, you might only get him for like six or seven games. And in those six or seven games, it's rocks or diamonds. Whereas Gutherson yeah. is consistently below first grade, you know, he's that that sort of always gives you that 60% game. Never so, injured. I wouldn't say Gutherson's a rocks or diamonds player. I'd say he's more no. of a he's more of one of those shiny lacquered up rocks. It's a rock, but it looks pretty. Yeah, like the sort of rock that if you went into a nursery and it would maybe it'd have lacquer on it and it might have something like um, painted on it, like welcome or you know, yeah. Some, yeah. you know that shit that women like to put around, you know, like they'll they'll buy a sign and it says like, you know, dreams or what what other dumb shit do they say? Um you know the ones I'm talking yeah, about, yeah. don't you? Yeah, 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 love yeah. and peace. And you sort, sort of, of look at it and you're like, what the fuck, man? Well you need a sign to, to remind you. Yeah. I, I like I mean, put up I like... with the candles and the cushions and then they buy a fucking sign that says a word. 
can we start getting signs for men? Can we start getting signs that say like, sure, sure. yeah, <laughs> shut the fuck up. I'm watching. <laughs> I'll, do I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. Yeah. Can I just relax for five minutes? That'd be a good sign. I just Another want some, sign. I just want some peace. Yeah. I'm not busy. No, that's not an invitation. <laughs> I just sat down. Yeah. Yeah, I'm busy just relaxing. Go away. Just sat down. Yeah, yeah. Can I finish this first? We, we're getting. We're probably going a bit too much about this. Yes. Well, sorry. We, we're starting to go into our broken souls a little bit. We're sorry, people. Yeah. Um, so after all of this uh, shitting on Nathan Brown. Yeah. And pretty much blaming him for the situation Newcastle's are in. He then comes out with this. I love I love the way the Daily Telegraph journalists they all do this because yeah. they think it helps quantify their argument and make it make them look like they're being balanced. Yeah. Like many, I feel sorry for Brown because of the way he was undermined from within. But <laughs> Well, first of all, can I just say say right there, you see that moment where they think this is what people with souls would say. Yeah. This is what people that have any sort of shred of empathy would say and it comes out so clunky because people that have empathy and souls don't talk like that no, it lacks it lacks anything because see people who are proper writers and they're, they're being balanced will make it very clear from the start yeah they won't come out and just go on the attack from the start yeah they'll start out on the on the side of the person they're talking about here's a clue if you're listening from you from the daily telegraph listen if you want to sound like you're being balanced, start out and talk up the person you're about to attack. Mm. Talk about the good stuff they've done. Then bring in some questions about what they've done and then maybe put a little attack at the end. Yeah. At least it shows you're trying to be balanced. Just put in a throwaway line like, like that in the middle and then and then completely dismissing it with the word but afterwards. That's just a waste of 20 words. And I dare say you only put it in there to get the word count up so you can get the thing published. Oh, shit. <laughs> That's hilarious. It's funny because it's true. <laughs> That's the classic, I'm not racist, but. Yeah, yeah. Jeff, it was Jeff Cannett. I think it was Jeff Cannett. Yeah. I'm not racist, but. I feel sorry for Brown, but that is not the same. Newcastle fans should be feeling any more confident about the direction the club is heading than when Bennett departed. Just. So, so wrong. So wrong, yeah. Like, they're, they're pretty close to the finals now. They're not winning three wooden spoons in a row. They've got some good players that they can look forward to seeing next year. You know what? I, it's funny. I feel as though all of this crap around Newcastle has nothing to do with Newcastle. I don't see the fans, like, going troppo online. I, I don't see this sort of hysteria from Newcastle itself. It seems to be just the journos. And tell, tell us why you think the journos are upset. Well, okay, here's my theory. The, the club apparently isn't returning the calls of the journalists. Or so, the text. Or the text, yeah. So we saw there's been a couple of um, tweets by Danny Widler who basically has said, I, I've not been getting any of my calls returned by the CEO of the Knights. So they're fucking terrible and horrible and blah, blah, blah. And then I saw Brent Reed reply to him and say, 
I agree with you, Danny. I've tried to contact them and they're not getting in touch with me. And the, basically the Knights are just not contacting these journalists back to give them content. So what are the journalists doing? Attacking. Because they need some sort of content around this night situation. And because they're complete outsiders, because they have no idea what's actually going on within the club or within the game, when they don't get content from people within the game, all they have to rely on is rumours and innuendo and just creating uh, just sound and bullshit. And that's all they've got. And that's what shows them up to be the rumour-mongering cunts that they really are deep inside. Absolute outsiders. Don't ever let any journalist tell you, well, I'm the insider. I'll let you know. Because none of them are. They're complete outsiders. They write about something that, I mean, most of them don't even go to the bloody games. All I can picture is just a bunch of old men sitting in an office in Sydney, hanging around their phone, waiting for someone to send them a text message. Yeah, yeah. Apparently that's modern journalism. I sent them a text. I haven't heard back. What do I do Uh. now? I'll send him another text. I know. I'll send someone else a text and see if they can get them to text someone else to remind them to text me back. That'll work. And the idea that they, you know, I've sent them a text and they didn't reply to me. How dare they? I deserve a text. Do you know who I am? It's like, fuck you. You self-important pieces of shit. Every last one of yous. I just thought it's just gross. Absolutely nuts that... They want to get an answer to a question. They're holding a fucking phone. Yeah. Oh, no, I won't call them. Why not? You're a journalist. That's your frigging job. I won't call. I'll send them a text. You haven't you, Aren't you supposed to have deadlines to bloody write to and stuff? If I need yeah. to get an answer for something, I'll call. Every, every sensible, normal human being does that. I just don't get this mentality of... It shows you just how lazy they've become. I mean, it's not like it's a, a secret. We all know they're lazy. Yeah. But for them to just come out and reveal it, that's just how they operate. I think this, this is something that needs addressing more than whatever's going on at Newcastle. Why are the journalists so bloody lazy these days? Get off your ass. And isn't it crazy that in the last probably two months, it's like the curtain has been drawn back on the way that the journalists work. And we've seen them like literally creating stories on live TV. We've seen them basically having no idea what they're talking about. We've seen them saying one thing's going to happen, but another thing happens. We've seen them saying, well, I, they don't do my text, so obviously things are going terrible. And it's like the last two months. And, and I think what it all comes from, right, I think it's because the mainstream media is its really just crumbling because there's so much added pressure from other sources of information including like direct i mean the newcastle knights put out a a message directly from the ceo straight to the fans through their social media channels uh yesterday i believe it was that they didn't have to go through the media they didn't have to ring up some newspaper reporter and say listen i've got to get something to the fans can i sit down with you and have a chat they can go straight to the fans. And that's content that newspapers can't use. It's already out there. It's done. It's finished by the time it's deadline time. And so they're having to go to other sorts of stories and stuff. And that's why we get all of these ridiculous stories about, you know, why the Panthers are going so bad because of something that happened in bloody February. And, and you know, oh, the Knights who I was talking up a month and a half ago, their culture's terrible. It's, there's no football talk. 
there's no talk about what's actually happening in the game. And it's it's really showing them for who they are. And the funny thing is that they they feel as though they're giving people what they want and all they're doing is revealing to people how bad they are at what they do. Exactly right. It's interesting. I was starting to see people going out uh, on social media saying, I wish, I wish there was more talk about what was going on in the games. I wish there was more analysis. And... They're not capable of it, though. No. They, I mean... They don't, want, they don't want to. No. That's not what they get into it for. No. They think, it's, they think their job is to go out there and report on the rumours. Yeah. There's so much more to talk about than just that all the time. Yeah. It's very strange. And I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's, I feel as though it would be soul-destroying. I really do. It like, would how be. Can you, how can you watch this great game of rugby league and every day you wake up and think, I've got to create something and I know, I know what is going to get hits and it's negative crap. And whether it actually happened or I just asked the question, is it the drinking culture? You know, if I just ask a question and I just spin it terribly, um, you know, maybe I'll go on TV tonight and tell Benji Marshall that he shouldn't be dressing up for Mad Monday. Like, just soulless fucking... I, can't, I, I couldn't do it. No, because you've got to come out and pretty much just shit on, the, shit on something you love every day. Yeah. And the only people who can do that are people who don't love it to start with. Let's be honest. Well, do they they're get the, into do they get they're into the sort of people league? who go, well, these are the sort of people who go out and they talk up other games that don't criticize. You don't hear them criticizing GWS's low crowd numbers. Never. Ever. You don't hear you don't hear them going on about how bad the rugby union's going or how bad the A League is or anything like that. They don't talk those games down. No. Talk down rugby league. And they always are looking to like Compare. Oh, you know what the NRL should do? They should follow the NFL's lead. It's like, really? They should follow their concussion protocols? Really? Genius? Yeah. Wow. We've also already heard them talk about how they, you know, well, Gould anyway, say that the game's going to be run by doctors and it'll be killed by doctors and lawyers or whatever it was. Some, some horseshit. Just bullshit. Um, They're just coming out with complete and utter <laughs> bullshit, you know? And that's when they're not peddling the line of their bosses. Yeah. Um, so Crawley then went on to say, it's not even an argument, in my opinion, that under Bennett's watch, Newcastle played with more passion and pride than this current mob has during the second half of the season. Um, in 2013, Newcastle finished one game short of the grand final after Danny Baderas was knocked out cold, blah, blah, making excuses now. Yeah. He's not, make, that, he's not, yeah. not making excuses for anything that happened under Nathan Brown. Yeah. But we'll make excuses for everything that happened under Wayne Bennett to try and talk up that angle. Mm-hmm. You know, he then talked about Russell Packer going to jail. If if Russell Packer was at Newcastle and he'd done something and went to jail, how is that not a problem with the culture at the club? <laughs> Interesting um, question there. What do you yeah. when you address that one, Crawley? Um, yeah, even after all that, when Bennett and Essie was leaving, they still went out and won seven of their last ten games. This year, with everything going for them, including an Origin halfback, a New South Wales halfback, oh, sorry, Origin fullback, a New South Wales halfback, and three Origin middle forwards. Oh, he's one of those blokes who uses middle. Middle forwards, yeah. Genius, um, Crawley. They've lost eight of their past ten games. It's interesting that he talks about the, the quality of the squad there mm. 
and how bad they're performing. Yeah. Um, but and how it's and, to well, and and how it's the coach's fault. But I've not seen him write anything along these lines about the dragons. Oh yeah, I wonder what that is because the dragons have a way better squad than. Uh, than I'd argue that the, the dragons actually do have a top six squad. Easily, easily. How, how is he not criticizing them? But he's happy to sit here and criticize Nathan Brown. It's a good question. Answer that, Paul. <laughs> Fucking gimp. Um, only last week when Brown fell on his sword, he fired another bullet bullet straight at Bennett. Rightfully so. There's always going to be new jobs for people like me because there's plenty of selfish coaches that make short-term decisions and ruin footy clubs. That's correct. And to prove that, how many times did we... How long a career did Brian Smith have going around fixing clubs up? He did exactly yeah. the same thing Nathan Brand did, and he had that job for a long time. Exactly. That's what he did. Um, there'll be another club that'll have an old roster that's been ruined and someone will get me to come in and try and fix it up because that's the job that I do. <laughs> He's right. I've said it before and I'll say it again. The fact that gets conveniently written out of Newcastle's history by Brown and all those who continue to want to blame Bennett is that it was Rick Stone who Brown followed into the job, not Bennett. Oh. What? So now he's not even blaming Bennett. Rick Stone was not a first-grade coach, and he was nothing more than a fill-in until they got the head coach they wanted. But not only that, knifed as hard as you could be by another first-grade coach, eh? Yeah. Like, the knife went straight in. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and yes, he was the first person on hand to deal with the mess that was left by Bennett. And he clearly knew that he could not fix that up. Mm. He stepped aside, he went over to went over to England, he's coaching over there. Yeah, it's it's I I I don't know how you can make any defense of the state, the absolute state that the Knights were left in under Bennett's watch. You just can't. You can't, and and you can. It comes through in this article in that you're reading it and you're like, "Well, this is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong." Because you can't, you can't defend how they left. Yeah, he then goes on about all the mistakes that that Stone made. It's kind of in a way of defending Bennett and saying that Brown wasn't fixing up Bennett's mess; he was fixing up Stone's mess. Yeah, Stone was just fixing up, trying to fix up Bennett's mess. And Ugh. it was a massive mess. Can you imagine being a Newcastle supporter? I, you know, we can all sit here and shit on the Knights as much as anybody because the club's a complete basket case. But you will not find, and I mean this wholeheartedly, you will not find a better, more committed bunch of fans for a club anywhere in Australia than Newcastle Knights fans. That mm. club's gone through shit and back. And they're going through immense shit these last five years and they still turn up in their tens of thousands to watch their team play every week knowing more often than not they're going to watch their team lose and probably get flogged they keep turning up and supporting that team i don't think there's a club out there in the nrl anyway that would be as committed to their club as that their fans are phenomenal i lived in newcastle for for eight months um and saw that it was just part of their culture this is what they had to do they They believed that they were helping their team. And to, to an extent, they probably were, to be honest. They're just so passionate about it there. And every single one of them, 
deserve so much better than all of this. 100%. They're also... They're also not not fucking mugs either. They know that Brown's done a lot of hard work there. Yeah, and I think that that's why you're not going on Twitter and seeing Knights fans going off their head. Because I think they realise that... they. I mean, they literally have sat through the games where they were at their lowest ebb for year after year after year, and they've seen where they are now. And I think they've... I think a Knights fan... Would have would tell you like considering where they've been, they've actually enjoyed parts of this season, and they are looking forward to next season. Whoever the coach is going to be, um, you know, hopefully the Knights bring in a, a coach that's going to be that's just going to continue to do the job that Brown did, and that's continue to improve the club um, and take them to the finals. Because the I mean, no supporter base in the whole game deserves finals football more than the Penrith Panthers. But after them, it's definitely the Knights. Yeah. I'd, <laughs> it would be brilliant if the, if the Knights can get into the finals probably next year. And to be honest, um, I'd been saying all along that I thought that this year wasn't going to be the Knights year. It was going to be next year. And to me, yeah. I, know, I said that in January. I wrote it in Inside Sport magazine. I didn't think they were going to be there this year. Not because I didn't think they had the quality. Just the fact that you can't have that much player movement go on for three straight years and expect it to just automatically click. It's going to take some time for it all to click. Yeah. They will be a better squad next year. It doesn't matter who the coach is. But, uh, yeah, I expect them to be in the top eight next year, especially if they can get one or two good signings in there. Someone to help um, Pierce in the halves would be a big help to start with until they can get That'd rid of him. Massive, yeah. Because, um, I mean, if they can get a playmaker at 5'8", and you've got Ponga chiming in from the back, man, I mean, they start to become a, a side that, is not going to be fun to play against. Especially, and especially if you can get Ponga to play right and left side instead of just left side all the time. Yeah, yeah. Get him popping up all over the field. And uh, that's just... That, I mean, that's part of his development as a young player. That'll come. Exactly. So, uh, we are on the side of Knights fans here. Um, now, there was another story that came up about, uh, about Dragons fans. Yeah, this one was interesting. Um, they... We're upset because they weren't allowed to take in flags that was calling for Paul McGregor to be sacked, basically, into games. And it's it, I think it descended into a little bit of a kerfuffle. And I, I kind of felt like it was common sense, to be honest. Like, the the club said that they they didn't really have anything to do with it, that it was the local council runs the the stadium and that they didn't want those flags coming into the game, which I think is a bit of a cop out. Um, but I tend to think it was just somebody of the turnstiles that sort of looked at the flags and said, man, I, I don't think you can bring those flags in. So I'm sorry, you can't. <laughs> yeah. I, I know I discussed this before. I think a lot of fans have this impression that freedom of speech exists everywhere. It's not even it's not even in the Australian Constitution, let alone in a bloody football ground or at a football yeah. club. Yeah, they're all dictatorships. What the ground what the ground people you know say and what the clubs say, that's what happens. That's what they want. They're the rules. Um, yeah, try try taking in three large pizzas into a game of footy this weekend. See how far you get. Yeah, that's right, and that's just just the way it is. So um, I don't see it entirely as being 
I, I matter where the the ground, you know, the ground staff or the clubs are saying, no, you're not allowed to voice your opinion. I think it's more a case of saying we can't have you obscuring the view of other people. That's just ground rules or you know something along those lines. Um, that's probably the main reason why they do it. Um, sure, there's probably some justification to the argument that they they just don't want to see those banners up all over the ground. But at the end of the day, if you want to make a banner like that and you want to get into the ground, you can find ways of doing it. Yeah, and the, but the other thing is too, if you make a banner like that and you go under the footy and they don't let you in, you can't, you know, throw your hands in it. You've got to kind of expect it at some point. Yeah. You know, I mean, I know, and the, the Dragons are privately owned now, but I know if I owned a footy team and I looked across the other side of the ground and I had... Anything that wasn't saying like "go League Freaks Footy Team," I'd, I'd you know point to my offside and I'd say, "What the fuck is that? I don't want that next week. Can you get rid of that, please? We're on national TV. I don't want them <laughs> bloody banners flying around." That's you know? right. So and yeah, you, you've got to expect it. There's other ways to voice your displeasure at the club. You know, it's not through big banners like that. It's not through ringing up the club with angry phone calls that's silliness um just you know you can let the club know you can email them and be respectful about it but you know voice your opinion and and tell the club why you believe that they should you know make some changes and the club the clubs aren't that stupid like they know and i don't know why they haven't you know sacked um mcgregor already but i'd be absolutely shocked if he was there i would be shocked if he was their coach a week after the season ends yeah there's been some rumblings going around that um he is going to get reviewed in the off season and they never review coaches that aren't going to get sacked eh? pretty much craig Craig bellamy has never had to go through a review (laughs) (laughs) um this is true though um The question, though, becomes who is going to be the coach they go to? And with Nathan Brown being on the market, um, that's a worry. Not because it's not a criticism of Nathan Brown. I just think because he's played at the Dragons, he shouldn't coach there. Um, they need an out, They need a genuine outsider at that club. Yeah, definitely. Um, and we've talked about their options. <laughs> yeah, they, they can't go back to the the thing of, like, oh, we need one of our guys. I don't understand that mentality at any club. Yeah. How many premierships has having your own guys as coach won you? And then compare <laughs> it to the number of times you've won premierships with, with an outsider as coach. Just look yeah. at that. Yeah, exactly. And I th- yeah. you know what? I think that Dragons fans understand that for sure. Dragons uh, fans do. Yeah. They do. Because they're the ones who are calling for this. They're the ones who have been saying these exact same arguments. Yeah. They know it. It's high time that the clubs started listening to the people who give them the most money, and it's not people who work for the Daily Telegraph. Yeah, exactly. Stop listening to people talking up Paul McGregor and how great he is. There was all that story, what was it, James Hooper and Crawley, I dare say, gone on about how the McGregor beat 14 other people for the job. What a load of he's, wank. He's a good bloke. Yeah, he's a good bloke. Yeah, he likes likes to drink. <laughs> and a bit of a vroom vroom afterwards. Um, so, yeah, it's high time that that clubs actually sit down. Get your, get your members in one day. Have, have an open meeting with your members and say, look, let's just talk 
with the members and no one else and say, what do you think we should be doing? Anything. Could be anything. Yeah. Who should we target as players? You know, what do you think of our coach? No club does this. I think your biggest shareholder is your fans and your members, and you don't talk to them about these important matters. You can't tell me that you think that every single fan has absolutely no fucking idea what's best for the club. I find that staggering that clubs have that opinion. But they'll sit there and they'll react to whatever gets put up in the media by people who don't even analyse the game. Yeah, exactly. Half of them probably don't even watch it. So one, of them, one of them even said last year that this game is shit. Yeah. <laughs> right. oh, Why are you taking the views of those people for? Why are you siding with them? Why do their opinions matter? Listen to the fans. They're the ones giving you the money. They're the ones who you're cornered market. They'll give you that money every year. Listen to them. Please. Fuck's sake. <laughs> I agree, Andrew. Yeah, it's every club. It's not just the Dragons. I wish every club would do it. It's only got to yeah, be I, one day a year. Just bang. Let's all have a big open meeting. Sit down. It could be you could live stream the thing. Send us any questions. Sure, you know what? I'm pretty sure the Panthers have done. I don't know if they've done it this year, but pretty sure they do have uh, days where they'll have uh, members come in and they basically have them in an auditorium and they talk to them. Um, it's not something I've ever done. I'm personally not interested in doing things like that, but I know other people are. Um, so I, I have seen the Panthers do it in the past, but um, I, I I can't remember too many other teams ever doing that. Yeah, it's just, to me, it seems like an absolute no-brainer. Yeah. So, I don't know, it's got me beat. Every other business would listen to their, their shareholders and stakeholders and, yeah, and get customers. their business off. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, what happens if they decide they get the shits and no one will give you money anymore? Then what do you do? Yeah, then you're screwed. Yeah, James Hooper ain't going to pay your, pay your wages for a year. <laughs> Paul Crawley surely won't. So, yeah. Come on, come on, club. Start, start going back to your fan base and, what you know, lean on them. Yeah. If you want the, insiders at the club, that's them. Yeah. They're, you know what? A, a, a paying member is more of an insider at a footy club than a journalist. 100%. Definitely. definitely. Absolutely. And uh, the one thing is, too, about any coach, any player, they come and go. Those fans hang around for 30, 40, 50, 60 years. Mm-hmm. They never go. So... It's the least you can do is let them have their say and let them have their opinion heard and respond to it. You know, yeah, every and, single one that comes in, respond to them, listen to them, go, you know what, that's got merit. We should look at that. And there's this there's this balance, I guess, clubs need to have too where because the people within the club are working towards a goal, criticism of the club can feel like it is a personal attack and it's not. And it's it's difficult to, and I think it's a defence mechanism most people have where, you know, you want to say, oh, yeah, but we're doing this, this, this. And, and I think it's really important for clubs to continue to talk to supporters and let them know. And I think that nothing's going to, nothing bad would come from clubs being more open and honest with their supporters. Um and, and there, you know, there's going to be times where a club might have to say to the supporters, look, we understand that you feel like we're making a bad decision here, but this really is a pathway we believe is going to lead to success. 
and we have to go down this pathway. Even if they suggest that it is going against the grain of things or it's a, it's something that they haven't tried before, I think that if clubs did that a little more often, it would really help supporter bases support the club and be like, look, they, they feel like they're doing the right thing here. I don't agree with it, but let's see where it works out. And especially if a club can be honest about, you know, if they've tried something and it hasn't worked and they can say, look, we were wrong about that. And um, we apologise for the performances that, that come out of that decision. Um, so we, we're trying something different again. Um, you know, imagine, I, I was gonna say, and imagine how invested you'd be in a club if they actually asked you for your opinion and they responded to you when you gave it. Yeah, yeah, it'd be interesting. And, you know, to ask how they do, I mean, just asking how they do things on game day even, um, it would be fantastic. And, you know, I I, I guess, I, I just can't see a downside from doing that. No, there's no downside. And it's, it doesn't cost anything either. Mm, exactly. Yeah, so there's no reason why they can't do it. Yeah. Um, and we'll move on to one last thing, which is which goes back to a uh, a, a recent episode we did. Uh-huh. This is something, this is something you you brought to my attention last night. Yeah, I'm glad you're going with this one. Um, it's a comment made by Peter Beattie. Yeah, the the whole head of the entire game of rugby league in Australia. The NRL would have died without the no fault stand down, says Peter Beattie. ARL Commission Chairman Peter Beattie says the NRL would have withered and died if their no fault stand down rule had not survived a legal challenge. Wow. Well, that well, we forgot that to add to that to the list. list. Yeah, yeah, that's another one. No stand could because you know what, rugby league only survived for more than a century without that rule. I don't know how it was going to survive a day longer without it. Yeah. Yeah, God, it's always under a threat. Bloody ridiculous. And he's the head of the entire sport. Fought into that media yeah. freaking driven bullshit yeah. that goes on. The game uh, will die. Your game's going to die if we hadn't have done this. So stupid. I can't wait till he's gone. You know, I had high hopes for Peter Beattie. I defended him for a long time, but I can't defend a stupid comment like that. Yeah. You just can't. It's- it's stupid. Yeah, it's stupid. Another one funny about him on, on the flip side, which we'll be defending him, was um, Buzz Rothfield was defending, was, was attacking the other day, so oh, Peter Beatty had to go. He couldn't even pronounce the players' names right. And I thought, yeah, how many times did you did you pronounce Trebojevic correctly? <laughs> Trebojevic? 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 Why do you think they started calling him Tommy Turbo? Turbo. Turbo. <laughs> which is just as insulting. Yeah. Oh, I can't even say your surname, so I'm not even going to say it anymore. I'm just going to say something else. Yeah. Peanut. Uh, I, I just, you know, I can't believe how often people say, there's another sport that I follow where anybody says, oh, the game will die. The game will die because this, like you could literally cut the game's income in Australia by 95%. It wouldn't die. It, it would look very, very different, but it'd still be around in some capacity. You know, the idea that people are just going to stop watching because, you know, oh. and this is the thing about sponsorship, right, that people forget. What happens is when there's an incident and you're a sponsor of a game or a club or anything like that, it is like cashing your chips in 
to then pull out of a club as a major sponsor because you get headlines everywhere. You know, oh, so sponsor XYZ has decided to pull out of their sponsorship deal with the NRL because of this, that, and the other. It's like, oh, I just got national sponsorship in headlines. That's cashing your chips. That's just marketing, and it's it's very easy to do. Um, it, but the idea that you've got the most watched sport in Australia where everyone's watching it and no sponsor is going to want to get on board is absolutely ridiculous. Like, it exactly. is so dumb. Yeah. Nothing will kill rugby league. The only thing that will kill rugby league is rugby league. Yeah, and... and it has no intention of doing that to itself. The Nazis couldn't kill rugby league. The fucking what? Nazis. They tried, and it didn't work. Yeah. They literally did. <laughs> yeah, they literally... We're not being... Like, the Nazis literally tried, and it did not work. Yeah. If, if anyone's unclear on that, um, check out what happened to French Rugby League around World War Two. When, they under, when France was under the Vichy government rule, which was a pro-Nazi government in France. And they, they actually put out a decree which said very clearly that they wanted to delete rugby league. They had a lot of rugby, league, rugby union officials within that government and all, all of the, everything that was to do with rugby league at that time was pretty much siphoned back into the government and redirected to rugby union. They literally took all their assets... Every asset. They, all assets. They took jumpers. They took goalposts. They took, you know, whistles from referees. You name it. They took all the money out of the bank accounts and have never had to give it back. And that's the thing about rugby league. All the rugby league people in that area were like, fuck you. Yeah. They weren't even allowed, up until the 1990s, France weren't even allowed to use the word rugby. Yeah. French rugby league could not use the word rugby. It had to be league 13 or something like that. Yep, um, yep. So, yeah, but it's still there. Still, still there. And it's, you know what, it's growing too. Yeah, they, they, could be, they could actually find themselves having two teams in the English Super League competition next year as well too. So it's madness. Yeah, I think within, I reckon within 10 years' time, we're going to have four teams in France that are going to be there or thereabouts. Hey? We're going to have four teams in France that... Uh, if Super League is still what in its current format, we'll have you know four teams within that top two tiers. So who uh, would be the other three Super League teams that are going to drop out to accommodate them? It's a good question. Um, well, uh, look, London—you never know about the London Broncos because you know he, they've just had so many things happen with them over their history. It's like a complete lottery what's going on. But I think I think there are going to be teams like uh, Castleford, Wakefield, Salford. Uh, okay, yeah. The, I mean, they would be on the edge, I would suggest. It, it, it's those sorts of teams that are really going to start to find it difficult to compete financially with these teams that are able to go to sponsors and say, look, we are one of the... Two or th- two, say, Super League clubs in all of France, or we're the only Super League club in in North America. You know, th- it's going to start to have a real impact, and it's going to be interesting to see where Super League is in ten years' time. Because I serious, and I've said this to you, I seriously wouldn't be shocked if we got to a point where all of these clubs from 
you know, if you end up with two teams in North America, you end up with, say, four teams in France that are up to it, where they start looking at each other and saying, why do we need, why do we need these small towns in Northern England? Why don't we just make our own Atlantic League and, you know, make another couple of clubs and have like a 10-team North Atlantic League that we run and we're not subsidising small towns in Northern I wonder England. If, I wonder if that would get to a point where, say, the elite of the elite in the NRL joins that and the NRL becomes the reserve grade to that World League. So you might have four NRL clubs, two from two from America, two from France, let's say one or two from England, and one well, from see, New Zealand maybe. You could have a I, World League with just those club teams in there and you have probably have a 10, 12-team comp. Yeah, well, I wrote an article about, I think it was about six years ago now, where, and man, we could do a whole podcast about this, where basically the idea was that it, for rugby league, the goal should be having a world league. And I don't think it would be a world league in terms of you've got, say, one 16-team competition. What I would look to have would be, say, I would look to build up a super league sort of competition over in Europe or North Atlantic or whatever you want to call it, where you basically, they played their own their, their own leagues once, everyone in their own league once, and we played everyone in our own league once, and then we had a, a, a third round where we play not every team but certain number of teams, and then we sort of have fi- a final system where you might take, uh, say, four teams from the Australasian League and four teams from the North Atlantic League and that they end up playing off and you end up with sort of a Super Bowl style competition at the end. Um, it, it's, I mean, I guess it's, we could do a whole podcast about it. It's really fascinating once you start getting into it. But yeah, um, I think that would be the better way to do it rather than having one league where you sort of play a home and away season. Yeah. We'll definitely do an episode on that. Yeah. I figure if I start discussing now, we'll just end up with a two-hour episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Maybe we'll we can save... make that our next episode. Yeah, we'll save that for later. Yeah. Our next episode in five minutes' time. <laughs> I know, I'm ready to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, you're pumped and primed. <laughs> All righty. Now, we should tell the peeps, you're going to be doing some commentary this weekend. Yeah, I'm doing a little bit of commentary in the Qu- uh, not Queensland Cup, in the Canterbury Cup. Um, I'm doing that in the next couple of weekends, so that'll be good fun. Um, traveling, probably, traveling to the world hot spots. Yeah, all of the exotic locations I'll be at. So I'll I'll retweet about that um, when it's on. So get, have a listen to me when that's happening. Um, and we should yeah, probably get the get the listeners to to send in a few um, acceptable words or maybe phrases that we could try and get you to to squeeze into your commentary. <laughs> Yeah, we can do that. We can do that for sure. Um, I'm not going to say anything stupid or ridiculous, so don't even try. But if you've got something that would be a good suggestion for me to slip into commentary, I'll do my best. Um, you really have to concentrate when you commentate in a footy game. Uh, like, I obviously have a lot of natural ability, like a ridiculous amount of it, but uh, you do have to concentrate when you're calling a game. Yeah, I'm going to ask you to say the word transcending. Transcending, transcending. Yeah. Okay, go, oh, man. That's going to be difficult. Transcending, because it's. <laughs> I had I had problems in the last episode. 
transcending and transitioning. <laughs> so hopefully well, I don't say there's any players transitioning. That would be bad. <laughs> well, Nadine will probably ask you to say transitioning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that could be a, yeah, that, that'll be a challenge. Yeah, transcending. Transcending. I'm going to have to say that over and over again for the next few days. Hey? Just, just, and also, just, I suppose you could just spend the next day or so just figuring out how you could put it into a sentence and just wait for a moment to say that sentence and you'll be right then. Yeah, I'm going to have to say something like they're transcending this level of competition. I need one team to flog the other one. Yes. Yes. Otherwise, you might struggle in that area. Yeah, pretty much. Struggle, struggle flogging. So I've never 69 had... again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Alrighty, well, uh, let's do a quick bunch of shout-outs. Um, I want to say a quick thanks to uh, Josh and Luke, um, two Sharks fans. Um, helped me out getting tickets for, for the uh, the better half for this weekend's game at the Sharks. So, yeah, huge thanks to you guys. Uh, got us out of a tight spot there, so that was very good. Yeah, that was awesome. You were telling me about that, and it's fantastic so what were their names josh and um josh and luke josh and luke thank you so much josh it was quite it's quite funny with luke because um he contacted me on twitter yeah and he said oh you know you can uh, you know i can give you a ticket if you like because i was going to go up i'm not able to i said oh where are you from he says oh from melbourne i had a look at his profile and my wife's face is in his profile picture no way (laughs) That's that's actually my wife in your profile pictures. No way, really. But yeah, oh well, I'll go tell her then and give it to her. You do that. <laughs> that's hilarious. Well, that was pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it's uh, brilliant, brilliant stuff there. So yeah, thanks, thanks, for that, guys. It's going to be massive at Shark Park this week. Yeah, it's a sellout do, already. Do you think they'll beat their ground record of? I think it was twenty. 23,400? I think the capacity is 23,000 or something. Yeah, I've, look, I feel like the capacity, if if they abide by all of the laws, which, you know, <laughs> it's the sharks, um, it, I feel like the official capacity is lower than what the old school capacity, the old school record is, but I wouldn't be shocked. Like, I wouldn't be shocked if the sharks said, look, we're going to sell some seats that are in the corners that, you know, uh, just plastic seats, you got to sit in. Trent Barrett, lend us some, lend us some. Um, so, yeah, I think that they would love to be able to make it a grand record for his last game. Yeah, so the capacity is currently 22,000. The record crowd there was 22,302. That was in 2004, and I've got a feeling that may have been for um, David Peachy's last game for the club. Okay. Um, so... They have I to feel, get. They need capacity plus an extra three hundred and three people. I feel like they can do it. if they want to do it. I reckon they can do it. I don't know how. I don't know whether they say standing room or or whatever. But I feel as though they can do it if they really want to. It'd be interesting to see if they go for it. I think if they take the jumping castle out of the back on the family hill there, they could probably chuck a fair few extra people in there. Yeah, so, that would be I, handy. Well, actually, just leave the jumping castle in there and just pile everyone into it. Yeah, there's an idea. Yeah. Because you, you could probably... Sh- how many if you people get people jumping at the right time, you could probably get people going down as the others are going up to try and double the volume on the jumping castle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'd be good to see, a jumping castle full of people going down. 
fucking up. <laughs> There's that slight pause. <laughs> Just talking about people on jumping castle, can't, you know. Yeah, I, yeah I don't going really down yeah. and then up. <laughs> uh, what other shout-outs have we got? We've got, uh, obviously, the starting block. Go on to Twitter, put in the starting block, drop the K at the end, follow the boys. Yeah. Had a good episode last night. Yeah, follow uh, at Boogie Bumper and at the starting block, as you said. Um, yeah, that had a good episode last night. Check that out. Um, try and, you'll have to watch it on um, Periscope or just via the Twitter feed there because yeah. they do spend about two or three minutes where not much talk is going on and they're watching someone bake the most complicated recipe ever. It had something like 33 ingredients in it or some some. I gar- actually I saw that part and I, I just, it was crazy. Who would and, do something like that? Who would put together something like that? And it was funny because at the end of it, it was like, oh, yeah, I guess that's all right. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you go over to Periscope, um, you may see one particular account dropping dropping a bit of foul language, trying to teach Americans how to swear properly. I saw that too. Yeah. Yeah. It was us. But anyway, uh, you can check that out. That, that's That's fascinating as well. Um, check us out on Twitter at Fergo Freak Pod. Um, you got at League Freak at Andrew LP. Um, go to leaguefreak.com. He's got a how's, how's that poll going? The NRL poll is that one finished or still going? No, go. I, I set my my polls go forever, so I don't okay. set a closing date for my polls. It's like my poll will be as long as you want my poll to be, basically, at the end of the day. And it, seems so, too easy, it seems too easy to say that's what she said, but it has to be said. Yes, it does. That's yeah. what she said. So, yeah, um, so it's still running. I reckon maybe we run it to the end of the season, give it Sounds enough good. time to percolate and stuff. Uh, good. I've got to promote it a few more times, but it is there. Yep, so get over there, check that out. Uh, great great website, that one. Um, and, yeah, I think we're pretty much wrapped up, aren't we? Pretty much, yeah. Go and check out... Um, RugbyLeaguePodcastingNetwork.com. That's a little side project I've got. It's just it's only in its infancy, but I'm I'd like that to go somewhere if possible. Yeah, I'll try and get a hold of other rugby league podcasts on there. So if you know of any, and they want to get onto another, you know, another website, and another it's free, outlet. yeah, it's free. Um, yeah, get them to get in touch with us. Podcast at LeagueFreak.com. You can send yeah, your questions it, to us there as well. Yeah, and it's like. The the podcasting network website, it's like completely obligation free. You're not on the hook for anything else. It's just like, oh yeah, this is an opportunity to chuck your podcast out there, um, you, and we I get people to set it up automatically. So they literally once it's all set up, um, there's literally nothing they've got to do. I just do the rest of it myself, and you don't have to add anything. You don't have to mention it. You don't have to say anything. It's just another website to sort of um, have as a distribution method. So yeah, get on, get in touch. Yeah, absolutely. Get on the board, people. Yeah. Alrighty. Um, on that note, we'll catch you all later.